Hey educators, what's the scoop? Are you ready to be inspired by great things happening in rural Arizona classrooms? The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas, an innovative curriculum. We'll dive into current school issues and we'll highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of teachers, administrators, and educational professionals who will provide relevant and engaging content each episode. And now, serving up the Rural Scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sador. Thank you, Rural Scoop listeners, for joining us. I have Dr. John Scretta with us, the superintendent of the Norris School District located in Firth, Nebraska. He is a widely recognized advocate for student health and wellness and has incorporated a number of health and wellness initiatives in his district that have benefited both the students and the staff. John, are you ready to give us the scoop? I am thrilled to be joining you today, Melissa. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, thanks for being here. Before we get started, can you give our listeners a bit of information about you and your background? Yeah, so uh, name is John Scretta. I'm the soup at the Norris School District. We are a uh, school district of about 2,400 students in southern Lancaster County in southeast Nebraska. So we're just south of Lincoln, Nebraska, which is uh, Nebraska's capital city. And uh, because of that proximity to Lincoln, and some really wonderful small towns in our area. The district is growing, so we've got kind of a changing demographic where historically we were pretty uh, ag-based, and now we've become kind of a combination of agricultural and suburban residential, along with some acreage development, and uh, have, a, have a great student population that joins us every day on a unified campus. We've got a um, a single campus site that literally sits across from a cornfield here in uh, in beautiful bucolic southeast Nebraska, and uh, we have a elementary and intermediate serving grades three through five, middle school with six through eight, and high school nine twelve. The high school has just over seven hundred students, and our admin, um, the the quote unquote central office folks like myself and and our small team here are right here on site at the southeast end of the high school. So we're around kids all the time, which is awesome. Give us a little bit of background about you. What have you done to move yourself forward in education? Well, uh, I, you know, I started out as a classroom teacher in reading and English at the high school level. And what I had the opportunity to do that led me to pursue educational leadership was my first year I was I was working with students who were really struggling uh, lots of cases struggling valiantly to be able to succeed in school after years of persistent school failure and feeling pretty marginalized in the system had the opportunity at the in the latter part of my first year of teaching to get involved with a collaborative effort to develop a school within a school program at Northeast High School in Lincoln that would focus on retaining students who were credit deficient because the research indicated that ninth and 10th grade students who'd fallen behind were uh, obviously much more likely to drop out of school and not complete high school. 
And we also worked to try to recapture students who had in fact already dropped out. Um, I was a part of the group that developed and then subsequently implemented that school within a school. And basically my takeaway from that was that I knew thereafter that I wanted to be involved in more programmatic design and solutions for students. And that if I was gonna do that, that I needed to pursue educational leadership. And along the way, just became really enamored of the impact and the research around and supporting the correlation between cognitive performance and classroom outcomes with student health and wellness. And um, that has really become a, a passion of mine then for um, a long time. I would say it's an abiding passion because there is such a fundamental belief um, on my part that when we look at school mission statements, almost all of them tend to include some sort of language related to lifelong learning and mm -hmm. helping people be aspiring citizens who are able to contribute to society for a lifetime. And yet, historically, we tend to emphasize the intellectual efforts around that without thinking very carefully or very purposefully about how health and wellness actually um, have a profound impact on uh, quality of life. And um, so I, I think it's, it's just really inherent to our business to commit to and be concerned about and try to work to promote health and wellness. Well, John, that leads me right into my next question, which is, I know that your district has launched a variety of programs that are targeted toward uh, both student and staff health and wellness. Can you give us an overview of what you have in place within your district? Yeah, um, really what, what we've tried to do is we've tried to embrace a coordinated school health or whole child model um, that aligns with best practices as identified across a variety of spheres within schooling that include everything from physical activity and efforts by teachers and staff to promote staff wellness, um, a very uh, focused scrutiny and monitoring of our student and school nutrition programming, um, an integrated approach to PE that focuses on PE as uh, development and uh, focusing on setting personal meaningful fitness goals. Uh, basically, uh, trying to ensure that every facet of student health that the school can reasonably connect to is in fact uh, plugged in and available in terms of being a resource for our students to promote their success. And so um, Norris has been at it a long time and that's not a result of my individual leadership and initiative so much as it is a result of a collective commitment that um, there, there's just been a, a really substantial groundswell of support and grassroots effort to ensure that, you know, things like our school food service program and our uh, physical education and health curricula 
are in fact very supportive of our students and that they're developmentally appropriate and that they model the right things. So that leads me to then this next question. How and why did you start your various health and wellness initiatives? And you, you touched on that, but if you could talk us through in a little bit more depth. Yeah. Yeah. What, well, one of the, one of the primary things that served as an impetus for many of us in schools was um, when, when you look at the um, Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act and you look at what the um, USDA has promoted in terms of student nutrition and um, an earlier iteration of that which required and mandated the development and implementation of school wellness councils. And with that, um, at about that time, an ascending effort nationally that captivated the interest and attention of many people in schools was the Alliance for a Healthier Generation. Right. Still a very viable organization and one that does a, a tremendous amount of good in combating the epidemic of childhood obesity. And Norris was very lucky in that we had some people positioned in, uh, in terms of readiness um, that we had some capacity to move forward because we had just a wonderful combination of, uh, I guess I'd describe it as cross-pollination of different things that came together to support Norris becoming an alliance for a healthier generation recognized school, um, at least at the bronze level for each of our schools, and then subsequently taking steps along various health and wellness initiatives that over the years have included uh, the National Dairy Council's Feel Up to Play 60 mm -hmm. efforts, as well as um, Norris being one of a handful of school districts in our area that has been recognized um, through the Healthier U.S. Schools Challenge Competition um, for a, a variety of different um, recognized, uh, reputable health and wellness practices, um, winning a Governor's Workplace Wellness Award uh, on numerous occasions, and then probably uh, the paramount thing in terms of just an influx of resources that helped us to really uh, be aspirational was the school district winning uh, through Educational Service Unit 6 and a consortium of, I think, five other school districts, a physical education program grant through the federal government, through the Carol White PEP grant program that brought $1.3 million over a uh, three-plus-year duration wow. into fantastic. our district to, yeah, to help accomplish those initiatives. Wow, so you you really have been at it a long time because those awards don't just happen overnight. There's a lot of time, effort, and thoughtful planning that goes into them. Yeah, you know what's what's interesting about it is the awards tend to come after the practice has become routinized and embedded within a school district. And so, you know, what's remarkable is that uh, we've just tried to foster an environment here and a culture in the Norris School District that encourages teachers to take smart risks in support of student learning and to take some chances and to not be afraid to do things differently. And what some of that looks like was, you know, early on before we had instituted um, a grab and go 
program in the morning that was kind of a second chance breakfast alternative for students. We'd have teachers who um, encourage students that if they brought a snack for a mid-morning snack break, that that needed to be a fresh fruit or raw vegetable and that their options were appropriately restricted along those lines because they were trying to promote student health. Um, we had teachers in classrooms who said, you know, uh, like I look at the, the craze now around stand-up desks and the general recognition that a sedentary lifestyle is not conducive to overall health and is certainly, um, you know, in opposition to cardiovascular fitness. And yet it was years ago that we had some of our, some of our longtime teachers saying, you know, we need to encourage sensible movement within the classroom. And I'd, I'd like to look at some of these ortho ball chairs and get those into our classroom and see how we can incorporate those. And so, you know, I think um, we were able to leverage some things like our school district's education foundation, having a SEED grant program, which SEED is an acronym that stands for um, supporting educational excellence through donations and and that foundation would give seed money of you know five hundred to a thousand dollars to some of our teachers to um, you know really push some of those initiatives forward and then what you would see over time was a, a more wide-scale adoption it, it sort of allowed us to see a variety of different pilot projects that supported student health and wellness and then from those glean what worked the most efficiently and what had the highest impact and uh, systematize that. And so um, I just feel like I've, I've been really, you know, blessed to have such an abundance of great ideas around us that we just have to pick and choose and try to leverage those for the most supportive health environment for our students. John, much of what you're talking about aligns with the CDC's WISC model, the whole school, whole community, whole child model. Um, where did you start when you were looking at needs and finding ways to meet those needs around health and wellness? You know, that's, that's a great question, Melissa, and I think I, I continue to believe that one of the simplest and easiest inroads for the entire process is to focus first on the low-hanging fruit of staff wellness. And that's an element of these whole school, whole community models. Um, it's a part of the paradigm. One of the challenges that educators often encounter when embracing a new initiative is that it can be overwhelming, so overwhelming. And when you look at a, a whole school, whole community, or whole child model, um, it's like this many tentacle beast where you say, how on earth are we possibly going to institute all these things? And right. then what ends up happening is people just push themselves back from the table in exasperation, you know, toss your pen in the air and say, well, you know, I don't know. I, I don't feel like we can really make any headway in this. And by the way, I haven't encountered a teacher recently who's saying, hey, give me more to do. I'm looking for a new <laughs> initiative, you know. What can you really challenge me with because of all the, you know, many hours in the day I've got? You know, that's just not the case. So we're talking about people who have committed to a service vocation. They're incredibly 
compassionate. And with that can come that kind of compassion fatigue and burnout. And that's why we're hearing so much now about the importance of resiliency and staff wellness initiatives. And so that's a really key buy-in level is if you can, within a system, help encourage and ensure that your teachers and your staff members are valued and dignified and that we're helping to remind them that when they make mindful choices about things as simple as sleep and food consumption and routine exercise and physical activity, that we can all of a sudden help promote a, a really wonderful environment that then they're starting to model behaviors for students that are replicable and can be internalized by kids. And I'm talking about acts as simple and specific as uh, drinking you know, enough water on a daily basis that people are appropriately hydrated and not fatigued and sleepy because they're simply dehydrated when they get to the afternoon because all they've had is six cups of joe. After you focused on the staff, how did you then move it to the student body? Well, and you know, for us, a, a big piece of that was physical education and physical activity. And um, really what we wanted to do was we had, <clears throat> we, we had encountered a situation in our district where for years we had given very scant, if any, attention to our physical education teachers um, as the content area experts and the developmental uh, experts that they are, and instead had really basically forced them to go through a lockstep procedure of participating in professional development that was not very applicable and not very relevant to PE teachers. And I just remember some of the first times that we got our PE teachers together to encourage them to plan and to dignify the fact that they are experts in uh, physical activity and that they had strategies they could share with our other teachers. And they were, I mean, it was like a revelation. They were thrilled and they were thrilled to, and here we are on a unified campus and yet we had not routinely gotten our PE teachers together to be able to collaborate with one another. And, and when I think about that, it's such a shameful oversight administratively, and yet that, that created so much positive energy. It was such a spark to bring our PE teachers together and encourage them to plan. And because of organizations like the Alliance for a Healthier Generation, we were able to leverage consultative expertise. We were able to tap into people like Brian Coyle at the Department of Health and Human Services in the state of Nebraska who's focused on physical activity, uh, people like Julaine Hill who then was the uh, statewide coordinated school health director for the Nebraska Department of Ed, and, you know, and find that, wow, all of a sudden we're having really potent, robust conversations among PE teachers about not only how they can align their practices to support um, appropriate student goal setting with physical fitness, but how they can extend their impact to also reach their colleagues. It was, pretty, it, it, was a, it was a pretty logical next step for us. And a component of that was then instituting uh, Fitness Gram, 
and and actually saying, hey, you know what, you guys are also a part of our district assessment system, and we value this assessment because it helps uh, students identify uh, in a criteria-based format in a non-threatening way uh, where their fitness is relative to a healthy fit zone in a variety of areas from strength and flexibility to endurance. Part of the WISC model is obviously involving the community. How did you involve your parents and the community in your initiatives? Well, I think the, the most logical means of doing that that suggests itself to schools, first and foremost, is that our parents got involved through our school wellness councils. And in our district, we've embedded that practice to where we have a coordinated school health council that is a steering group at the district level and is chaired by our CSH chair, Jane Hansmeyer, who's a tremendous wellness advocate. And we have community members and parents who are involved in that. But then each building also has a school wellness council, which meets routinely and helps to establish meaningful fitness goals and partner up in initiatives. So for instance, parents were absolutely instrumental in and were tremendous drivers of positive physical activity change in our elementary school when we abandoned the archaic and outdated notion of a school carnival, which for years had been sponsored by our PTO and was neat in its time, but we realized was increasingly incongruous with the sort of activities that we really wanted to promote because it was about cotton candy and junk food and right. meaningless trinkets and prizes. And oh, now we're doing the cakewalk. Oh man, <laughs> this is tremendous. How slather on another inch of frosting on that thing, you know? And it was, it was like, wait a minute, what are, what are we doing here? And uh, realized that, you know what? Instead we could promote a fun run annually and have uh, students basically have sponsors, friends and family who say for, for every lap, I'm going to commit a dime for what you, for what you do, or for every lap, I'll, I'll contribute a dollar to the Norris PTO, you know, and, and, and getting kids active and getting them outside and encouraging parents to be a part of that. Um, it, you know, I think once you get some of those activities underway and you invite and enlist parents to be partners in it, there's no turning back and it can really energize a community. As you think back to the initial implementation of your different uh, wellness programs, what challenges did you face and how did you overcome those? Well, I think that one of the single biggest challenges that we face in any sort of health and wellness initiative in schools is that there will be resistance encountered from people who have a mindset that is fixed. And that fixed mindset says, I have a very particular and isolated notion about what education looks like. And what education looks like is me as a teacher or the educators engaging in direct instructional delivery, and I want everyone else to be attentive. I want them to be obedient. 
and I don't want to vary from that. And so the pushback that schools frequently encounter from within related, but, but it also, there's also that pushback that comes from some folks who are skeptical of it within a, a community is a reflection of outdated notions about what constitutes effective educational practice. And the single best way to refute that is when teachers adopt routine physical activity measures within their classrooms and they become more efficient in multimodal instruction where they're getting kids up, they're, they're getting them engaged in purposeful movement. And when we're taking periodic episodic physical activity breaks, and what you'll see is if you have, you have that experimental group and you have another group that's a control group that's not doing it because the teacher is a holdout or is a skeptic or is resentful about I don't understand why we're being told we should do this. You know what happens over time is they see the positive results and the benefits derived relationally and in terms of academic performance and in terms of student engagement when you have kids doing that. That's the single best evidence-based thing that a teacher can see. But from an administrative level, in terms of overcoming challenges, it is absolutely imperative that as educational leaders, superintendents who understand the importance of the whole school, whole child initiative and coordinated school health need to be familiar with the research. We don't have to be research experts, but we need to understand that there are in fact valid, empirical, um, evidence-based strategies that when they're applied in schools, create a better and more effective educational environment. And we should celebrate that, and we should make sure that we're attentive to uh, purposefully implementing and sustaining those practices. Very well said. Uh, John, you've become an advocate for student health at both the state and national level. Describe how that journey got started and what your focus has been. Well, I think that um, one of the ideas that I wanted to embrace early on was that it is difficult to promulgate the notion of the importance of student health if um, I myself was not modeling that and attempting to be attentive to it. And um, I think that it's really important for us individually to make those commitments. And so for me, um, becoming an advocate and becoming a more uh, vocal advocate, that journey got started simply through my recognition that if we were going to, as a system, say that the health of our students and the health habits of our staff mattered, that I had probably better be mindful of my own business first. You know, it's that whole notion about, hey, before you start looking over the fence in somebody else's yard, you better make sure that you've tended to your own garden first. And right. so I've just tried to, I've tried to become someone who through my own personal life, personal habits of and routines around exercise, fitness, and health promotion, um, that it connects me with a community of people who are like-minded. And that, 
that has helped me derive so much momentum that it's been really positive in myriad ways for me, but it's also brought um, good things back to our district in terms of just recognizing and celebrating with one another that um, having an active lifestyle is a great thing for people of any age to try to do. And it doesn't mean the same things for different people. You know, it has to mean different things for different people. And so like for me, um, I, I continue to run and that's my Zen and that's what I love to do. And I derive a lot of fulfillment from running routinely as exercise. Um, but that, you know, I am not preachy about that. I just think it's important for people to find what works for them and to be engaging in that. And I think that when we commit to being uh, visible advocates for health, then that just sends so many of the right messages to the people around us. And so um, it allowed me then um, that by, by purposefully engaging in a more advocacy-oriented role around student health, that got me involved in a variety of different initiatives, such as um, the Childhood Obesity Task Force around the Nebraska Medical Education um, Foundation, and to be involved with health promotion efforts in our state legislature. And that includes everything from trying to combat youth hunger to ensuring that um, there are appropriate uh, supports for student health in place. We know that a rural school might have some unique challenges when looking at implementing programming like what we've been discussing. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And do you have any possible solutions? I think that, um, yeah, I, I just think that rural schools are, we're so uniquely situated that um, we have to be willing to utilize and leverage the platforms that are available to us. And so, for instance, having the opportunity to engage in a conversation with you, a fellow superintendent who practices in a rural setting in Arizona, and me, a, a who's practicing in rural southeast Nebraska, that's incredible and that's made possible by the technology that's available to us now. I think that um, as rural schools, we, we need to embrace the opportunities that are abundant for us related to utilization of technology um, so that we're not always going to be able to attend conferences in person based upon the remoteness of them. We're not always going to be able to have speakers on site or presenters who are doing that high impact stuff, but we can connect with them through the various mediums that are available to us through the internet. And, you know, that includes stuff as simplistic as, you know, pulling up dance routines on YouTube between classes because you, you can access that stuff and you can help engage students right at the start of a class. And you don't have to have special tools or be in a particularly cosmopolitan setting to be able to um, tap into those things. I, I just think the role of technology is making many things possible for us within rural school settings. 
if a district were looking to implement some health and wellness initiatives or some kind of programming and they were just getting started, why might they fail? What are some things that you can offer in terms of best practices advice so that what they implement is successful? Well, I think that, um, and this harkens back to something we were discussing earlier, which is that um, you need to be cautious that the level of enthusiasm at the outset does not result in uh, essentially reaching a stage of paralysis with implementation because people are so overwhelmed that they're no longer sure what they're focused on. And the, the fact is, and I've seen this repeatedly in school health initiatives that are designed to support students, staff, and communities. Uh, Melissa, you and I as superintendents frequently have the opportunity to interface with people who are experts in public health and working within communities for nonprofits or working in communities um, with uh, post-secondary institutions, institutions of higher learning. And while um, many of these people possess incredible uh, research expertise and have a profound understanding of the theoretical constructs around student health, um, we need to make sure that there's a balance between theory and practice. And that in practice, what we do is uh, as practitioners, and soups are, are practitioners, we're connecting with people at a local level and trying to make inroads and trying to make positive impact. And I, I just think that the biggest thing that can get in the way in initial implementation of school health initiatives is getting overwhelmed at the abundance of possible solutions becoming enamored of a couple different off-the-shelf solutions that do not actually reflect substantive uh, changes methodologically, but are things that people are just playing with. And that then you will see uh, fatigue sets in, implementation fatigue sets in, um, the flat line becomes a reality. And when that happens, if there's not a clear, cohesive direction that's a result of ongoing dialogue from a school wellness council that is helping to steer and coordinate and commit efforts. Uh, I, you know, your, your efforts as a staff can be squandered and people can get exasperated and they may give up. And if you, if you experience that, it's hard to help people summon again the courage to commit meaningfully to making these kinds of changes within school settings. And so um, I, hope that, I hope that that response makes sense. I just think that there's a balance between theory and practice and the, the theoretical paradigms for coordinated school health are tremendous, but if you try to roll everything out at once with a staff, um, without having done needs analysis and some basic goal setting, then the, the just the sheer magnitude of the process will be overwhelming to people and they will distance themselves quickly. As you were starting the work within your own district, 
did you tap into specific resources that helped break that overwhelming task to manageable steps? Yes, and and I you know and some of those resources are some of the things previously mentioned, um, like the conducting the needs assessment work when you go through and you do an inventory for the alliance for a healthier generation then it's going to give you an idea of just where your greatest areas of need are and what your optimal strengths are and i think that's an important component the you know the other piece of it is that in schools we're in such a dynamic environment around student health and how different needs manifest themselves as priorities in a variety of different ways. Eating healthy um, and the initiatives that Michelle Obama as the then uh, um, wife of the President of the United States was such a powerful champion for um, the Task Force on Childhood Obesity and helping to combat that. Um, you know, FLOTUS brought a great focus around that. And yet what I've seen in the last several years is a, uh, a shift in coordinated school health approaches that has put a prioritization around um, students' mental health and their sense of well-being and sense of self-efficacy and efforts in schools to um, promote uh, coordinated efforts for suicide prevention and to provide earlier interventions through multi-tiered systems of support for students who need uh, mental health services is, is yet another tremendous way in which schools can positively impact students. So I think it's, you know, I, I think that it's really important for schools to do an ongoing needs analysis as part of their conversation around student health so that you're tackling what matters most to you in the moment. What's on the horizon for both the Norris School District and for you personally? Well, to extend upon something I had just referenced, one of the things that we've uh, seen um, some, some pretty tremendous initial uh, outcomes from is that Norris has, through our educational service unit, ESU number six in Nebraska, has contracted the services of Paul Krause, who is an LMHP, who provides uh, some ongoing supportive mental health services for an identified case group of Nor uh, caseload of Norris students who uh, benefit from that ongoing weekly uh, check-in with Paul and the ability to um, monitor and self-regulate uh, their mental health in order to perform better in school. Um, I see uh, expanding opportunities in the state of Nebraska around uh, the acknowledged uh, importance of uh, students' mental health in order to uh, promote resiliency and provide all students with an equitable chance at academic success. Um, I think Norris will continue to work very diligently in that area, in addition to maintaining our commitment to those fundamental principles of um, eating healthy and 
getting active uh, throughout the school day and promoting that uh, in terms of fitness for, for a lifetime. Along those same lines, John, what is next for you and your support of student wellness? Well, um, for me, I will be at the end of this school year, I'll be tran transferring into a new role where I'm moving to Educational Service Unit 6, which is headquartered in Milford um, and, and serves, at, at, I will be serving as the ESU 6 administrator. And in that role, I hope to help uh, normalize and institutionalize some of these practices to the extent that they can help our member schools. And the, you know, the more that I can be involved in promoting and advocating the importance of health for our students, our staff, and the positive impacts on our communities, that, that position at ESU 6 will give me a platform um, to help message the importance of those initiatives for 16 different school districts across five counties. So I'm, uh, I'm tremendously excited about doing that and really look forward to those next steps. John, if anybody wants more information about what we've talked about, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I'm, I'm really easy to find on social media. I'm at jscreta. Um, so that's at J-S-K-R-E-T-T-A. And I'm on, uh, I'm on the Norris website, norris160.org. You can connect to Norris and the school district that way. Um, but I'm also on, on email, john.screta at gmail.com. And uh, anyone can reach me there. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, out there. I'm pretty visible. And so I really enjoy the opportunity to connect with, with colleagues and with fellow educational leaders and to figure out how we can best leverage the resources that are out there for student health because I think it's just so fundamentally important to and correlated with positive outcomes. Well, John, thank you so much for being involved with the podcast today. I wanna to let all the Roll Scoop listeners know that John's contact information will be available in the show notes, so you can check that out at the Arizona Rural School Association website at azruralschools.org and get more detailed information on how to get in touch with him. I appreciate you talking with us today, John. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much, Melissa. Appreciate it. member of the Podnuga Network.